So we are in a series at the moment looking at each line of our vision statement, and we are focusing in through summer on following Jesus together. In fact, I'm calling this summer the summer of practice, the summer of practice, because following Jesus is both desire and practice. Desire requires intentionality. For you who are married or have relationships in the room, you know that to cultivate the desire in your hearts requires practice. So me and my wife, in the next couple of weeks, we get to celebrate 15 years of marriage, which is awesome. Thank you. It's a miracle. And so God, we, not against her, against me, um, it's a miracle that we still go because we need to be intentional people. We go on dates, or we try to. We're in the new season of where our children, who are now uh, nine, almost ten, seven, and five, we're getting to that stage where we can breathe just a little to, to receive. And so for you who have young kids, we feel and understand. Uh, but it does require practice and intentionality to love someone well. I love this phrase, the disciplined person is a person who can do what's needed when it needs to be done. A disciplined person is a person who can do what's needed to be done when it needs to be done. So any basketball fans in the room? Um, Kobe Bryant, one of the late great men, uh, in 99, he broke his fourth finger, his right fourth finger. And he was out for 15 games, and then he came back, and he just kept missing. His point average was so much lower than seasons before. And so what had happened was, as he was strapped his pinky to his ring finger, it had shifted his spread of hand. It was no longer an evenly spread hand to take a shot. And so what did Kobe Bryant do? Like, anything Kobe Bryant do, he trained, he practiced. And so that summer, he made 100,000 shots. He made it. He put it in the net 100,000 times over the summer. That's 1,000 times a day making a shot to correct his hand motion, which is crazy, isn't it, when we think about that, that over and over again that he made that shot consistently. Why? Because he is a professional. He is a professional. What needs to be done, he is someone, when it needs to be done, it needs to be done every single time. And that's the element of practice we're talking about today. If I gave you a basketball, eventually you would be able to make the shot, some maybe later in the day, and maybe some straight away. But repetition requires that we be people who know what to do when it is required of us. Does that make sense this morning? And so we can live our spiritual lives that way as well. The ability to have power to do what needs to be done when it needs to be done. To have spiritual power to do what needs to be done when it needs to be done. And we can't just live in self-controlled spiritual walks. We can't just be people that try and just self-will our spiritual walks with Jesus. We need self-discipline. To be like Kobe, you would train like Kobe. To be like Jesus, we want to train like Jesus. Training requires efforts. Training requires intentionality. Training requires that we give of ourselves 
disciplined to a thing or practice. And so the last couple of weeks, we have been talking about different types of spiritual practices to catch you up. Uh, The first one was meditation on prayer. Joe Shannon, my brother-in-law, he preached a wonderful message. And you can go back and listen to these messages online, on YouTube, Spotify, podcast, wherever, those messages are online. But meditation in prayer is a practice which Jesus focused. Now, don't get confused in meditation that we think about the East kind of like emptying of mind. No, meditation is not about emptying your mind, but filling on God's Word, God's character, God's work, right? That's the meditation that we're talking about. And prayer meditation is simply to sit, to breathe, and turn our affections to Jesus. That's what we're talking about in that moment. No more than just talking at Jesus, but actually to be in reception of His love, to breathe and be center to Him. And then last week, if you didn't catch that, meditation in Scripture was an amazing message from Pastor Craig. Probably one of my favorite ones of his. It was so funny as well. But we talked about repeating, rehearsing Scripture. You've got to meditate. And this, I hope it never left you. We need to be ruminants. So that means we need to be like cows, like sheep, who regurgitate our food up from the bottom. And Taco Bell was never the same to me whatsoever when I drove by. I remembered him preaching about how we can regurgitate that wonderful food that left us so good. But isn't the Word of God so much sweeter that when we do bring it back up, when we do ruminate on a simple phrase, a verse, every single day, it draws us, guess what? Closer to Jesus. All of these practices are to talk about Jesus. And so today, you have the fun of talking about the practicing of fasting, right? And and, and we're going to talk about this today because this is a needed practice. And actually, I, I spoke to my mom who lives in England, and she goes, oh, what are you preaching on this Sunday? I said, fasting. And she goes, I'm not going to listen then. <laughs> because this called the elephant in the room today. This is the most abused practice, but also the most underused practice. To follow Jesus is to be a person who fasts. And I just want to teach on this today because growing up as a teenager, this was something, I grew up in the church, and it was something that we did occasionally as a youth group, maybe to associate ourselves with the poor, to know what it feels to be in need. We would go on a, a hunger fast for 24 hours. Anyone do that in the room? Hands raised. Oh, I was the only one abused. Okay, now there's some other people. Here we go, yeah. So little hunger strikes we did. Or when we got at conferences with the youth, we got a little zealous. And so there was one person that suggested the youth group, man, we should just fast our breakfasts and not have breakfast whatsoever. And as a teenager, even into my early 20s at Bible college, I just did not get it. Going to be honest with you, Pastor Johnny, did not make any sense to me. Like, I am already tall and skinny. I needed to burn calories. I mean, I can put it away. I have slowed down a ton, but not eating seemed like death. I was like, why would you want to abuse yourself in that way? Please go fast. And you just felt all this shame and conviction like you weren't good enough. You felt like you didn't measure up to other people who claimed the fastings of weeks on end. And I was just like, how? As soon as I miss a meal, like my body lets me know about it. It starts to gurgle, starts to hurt. And I'm just like, why would you do this? In this culture, we love food. Just in case you hadn't have noticed, just an outsider perspective talking here today, you guys 
really love food. Um, it was the first time I came across free refills. We don't have that in England. That was amazing. I was like, some more, please. Some more, please. I'm going to utilize this money. Not knowing the, the, the health devastation I was doing to myself, by the way. The first two weeks um, I was here ever to America, I put 14 pounds on in two weeks. I was like, I, this bo these bottomless like rolls, this is amazing, Texas Roadhouse, I was just like, this tastes good, just keep on going, keep on going, da, 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 da. and it was disastrous for me, I definitely had to do a cleanse after that. But we have this idea of just love of food, in fact, when I was with the Bellises, they were planning food around where, uh, they, where they were going, they would plan food as well, that was so foreign to me, I was like, okay, so we're going there because there's food there, okay. And so we love food, but we also love the body. Um, there is the filters that we put upon ourselves. Fake images are always seeing. And we see these beautiful people which make up like 0.001% of the world, photoshopped on top of that. And we have this struggle with body image. There is increasing d eating disorders that happen. Um, and it's really strange. Remember when we used to go to the stores before everything was delivered to your house? Um, you would line up and you would wait in a supermarket. And on that, you would see a couple of different magazines, right? We would have all the food magazines on how to make cakes and those beautiful things. And then we'd see Chris Hemsworth with his nine pack, uh, you know, if that's a thing, just ripped to the core men's health or women's health about how to have the perfect body. And so how to have a perfect body and these delicious foods all in one section was very complexing. Because we have this problem. We love food, but we also want to have the body right? And we have this confliction inside of us, this tension in our body, food excess on the one side and body worship insecurities on the other side. We have the two coming together in that place. And so the point I want to make today is, is that the body has become our master. Our body, for the want of food or the self-discipline of image, the body has become the master. And because there's a principle below the body today, there is a pleasure principle that reigns. Beneath the, the surface of want of food or the perfect body is the pleasure principle. And we are pleasure-seeking beings. We're pleasure-seeking beings that desire comfort. And that's why the endless advertisement towards your pleasure, to have that perfect holiday, that perfect home that food that constantly gets put on you. When I'm running uh, on the running machine and I see the advert for the burger in front of me as I'm trying to burn calories, right? That temptation that's put inside of us, that juicy burger, as my wonderful uh, niece says. Uh, juicy is my favorite word now. That juicy burger that's on the screen that pulls on my desire to be satisfied. We don't like to be people in pain. We medicate as much and as quickly as possible to alleviate any discomfort that sits in our souls. And so for us in this cultural moment which pulls on our desire and pleasure, we are driven by pleasure. And in case you have noticed, if we are just driven pleasure beings, we don't grow very far. If we are just people that seek pleasure, there's an element where we see stunts in growth that we do not see. If my children just fulfilled their pleasure every single day, I don't think I would grow very good humans. 
they would be sugar-fueled, device-driven kids if they had their choice. Like YouTube constantly while cracking every single bit of sugar. They would be stunted in their growth as humans. In fact, we would even say the immature person doesn't know to kind of cut back. They're always taking what they want. Imagine this scene. You're in the office with your your boss, and you really want a drink. You wouldn't just reach across the table and take his drink and just drink it right in front of you, would you? Like That would be a little, you know, not so good. Maybe if you're really rash. But that's what we're saying. If you were just based on pleasure, I want what I want now, I'm just going to take it. No, you learn the principle of denying your pleasure to be able to function as a mature human. Or at least I hope you do today. Maybe that's a revelation for some in the room, and maybe you just need to get some of your act together. There's a discipline that you need to say no to the pleasure in that. And so we uh, today, I want to quickly go through a biblical understanding of fasting, because fasting is an amazing spiritual practice which will cause us to grow as Christians. So if you have your Bibles, flip along with me. The words will be on the screen. But we're going to start in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7. Context, God has made the earth and he makes humans in this powerful moment. In Genesis 2, 7 it says, Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed ruah, spirit, into the nostrils, the breath of life. And the man became a living being. Out of this space, God formed dust. He took the dust of the earth and he breathed into us his spirit. This is an interesting thing because we are a hybrid of physical and spirit. What separates us between us and animals, animals do not have a spirit. They are physical, they have a soul, they do not have a spirit. Angels have a spirit, but they do not have a physical body. And so we are unique to this whole thing that we are people who are physical and spiritual. I need you to hold that principle today because we're going to be talking a lot about that. When God made us, he took the physical of the earth and he breathed his spirit into us, which speaks against the cultural narrative that you are just a mind of thoughts speaks against that you're just, you are mind and spirit and body. I need you. And for Christians in the room, which is most of us, I would hope today, that we are people that are not just spiritual, but we are body as well. The spirit and the body are entwined together. They work beautifully. So we carry on this story about the body. Genesis 3, 1 to 7, we know this well. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say? This lie, this manipulation that comes in. You must not eat of any of these trees in the garden. The woman said to the serpent, you may eat of the fruit from the trees in the garden, but God, uh, but God did say, you must not eat the fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it. And I added law, I think Adam might have thrown in there. Just don't even touch it, or you will die. You will not certainly die, that sowing in of the enemy that tries to twist a good thing, it tries to put uncertainty into the woman. The serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. 
When the woman saw, she saw the food, the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom. She took some of it and ate and also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Dumb husband. When the eyes of both of them were opened and then they realized they were naked and so they sewed fig trees together and made coverings for themselves. There's a lot going on in both of these passages, but a point I want to make today is the physical impacts the spiritual. The physical impacts the spiritual. The words of temptation, did God really say, orchestrated the fall of humanity, but the vessel in which sin came was through the physical of food. We need to get that today. The temptation was the lie of decide between what is good and evil, but the method in which sin came was food. Pleasure, she saw it was good, she took it, it overrided her heart, and she could not stop from eating what was in front of her. Anyone had that problem? Something's in front of you, you cannot deny yourself, you see it is good, you decide it is good, you take it. And in this moment, the physical action of eating of this fruit caused spiritual death. They trusted their own good thoughts, and they trusted the liar, the enemy. And interestingly, the ramification of that eating was a covering up of the body. And so the sin that came into their worlds caused them to separate away from God, the eating and then the covering up of bodies. Isn't that interesting? Just think about that for a moment. The body became unpleasurable. There was disgust towards the body because of food. Do we see that today? That when we seem to consume food, there's this pleasure principle that when we consume, then suddenly we just don't like ourselves anymore. And suddenly they start to cover themselves. It's interesting, isn't it, that food is used as a cover-up. Anyone had an emotional breakup? What do we do when, when <clears throat> in the movies, we get ice cream and binge on ice cream to cover up what? Our feelings. Somehow, sugary goodness can alleviate some of the pain that we experience. We use food to cover up how we feel. We use food even to distract ourselves. Ever found that? You go into the kitchen, don't know why I'm here, but I'm just going to eat something. Whenever I've done fasting, I've been really bored because sometimes it's just this part of where I distract myself with food. Food is used to cover up self, low self-worth or lack of purpose. Or if you've ever felt like really hurried in your life, we eat to cover up our unrest in our lives. So how can we save ourselves? Who can save us? We say it louder. Thank you. Let's say it together. Jesus. Just a little throw out for you. If you don't know the answer, Jesus is always the answer. So who can save us? Jesus. What is Jesus' action? Let's go to Matthew chapter 4, 1 to 4. And this moment of where Jesus has been baptized, affirmed by the Father. This is my son who I'm well pleased with. Then Jesus, who was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. That's a whole teaching in itself. 
to be tempted by the devil. After lasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Sure thing. And the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Does this feel like deja vu to you? Does this feel like the Garden of Eden all over again? Suddenly, there is a moment of temptation to actually turn something into food this time. Food is at the center, and identity is in question. It's almost like, rather than, did God really say, is really God, now God, prove yourself to me. Prove who you are. Turn this bread, turn this rock into bread. Jesus wins the battle. Why? Why does Jesus overcome the devil? Say it. Jesus wins. But there's an action. What does, what does Jesus do? Going to have to hit a lot louder. I can't hear anyone. I'm here. Come on, someone be bold. What did Jesus do? He uses the word. So there's a couple of different practices that Jesus does. He uses the word. He gets alone. And he fasts. A lot of times, we have been taught that Jesus was at his weakest, or at least I was taught that. Couldn't be further from the truth. Jesus was at his strongest. He was at his height of spirituality. His spirit was so empowered. His flesh was so diminished. He was all spirit. And he was ready to take on the devil. The teachings that we've had of the day, Jesus was at his weakest, and the devil comes and attacks you at your weakest. No, he was actually at his strongest. Jesus was fully man and fully God. He had the same temptations that all of us did. And he knew if he had to take on the devil, he had to be fully alive in the spirit. He had to be fully alive in the ability to take on the devil. Fasting was the key, along with knowing the word, getting alone, This was the authority he had to take over the devil. Do we see that this morning? This is what it's about. And so he was hungry, but he was hungry for the word of God. He was hungry. Remember that phrase he uses at the woman at the well? You don't realize that my food is not of this world. You know, it's to do the Father's work. So Jesus knew that. And what happens after this? The very next thing is he inaugurates his kingdom. The kingdom of God is at hand. And what does he do? Miracles, signs and wonders, because he defeated the devil. He overcame and brought freedom into our space because he brought about praying with the stomach and the body. This beautiful thing. We carry on in verse here in 6. And so two chapters over. This is on the Sermon on the Mount. This is Jesus' viewpoint on fasting. There isn't much teachings on fasting, but this is Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount, context. He's just given uh, moral values of what this kingdom looks like, and then he goes and teaches three spiritual practices. These spiritual practices are giving to the poor, praying, and fasting. Now, if I told you what the spiritual practices are, you would probably say reading your Bible, praying, and worshiping. Would that be agreed? That's kind of spiritual practices. Jesus highlights the spiritual practices of the day and says, giving to the poor, 
praying and fasting are the main practices of spiritual walking and following with Jesus together. So Jesus has this to say, and when you fast. So Jesus isn't even saying, it's like, guys, he's not commanding, but he's like, hey, guys, when you get to that space of when you need to fast, when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. For they disfigure their faces for that fasting so that it may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, and that your fasting may be seen, not seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who is seen in secret will reward you. So Jesus says, when you fast, but he also acknowledges that you're going to mess up. You're going to do it for all sorts of wrong reasons. Now, is that a reason to not do it? No. Also, this whole principle of don't tell anyone you're fasting. Jesus also says in the couple of verses before, pray in private. Do we only pray in private? No. So again, he's using the same analogy. What he's saying is don't do it for the wrong intentions. Don't pray for the wrong intentions. Don't fast for the wrong intentions, because very quickly it will go very wrong. But Jesus assumes you're going to get it wrong. You're going to mess up. And what I love is it's the freedom, not of self-esteem, not of getting myself in the right place, but actually it's to seek the heart of the Father. That actually denying our flesh, not eating food, empowers the Spirit and we find a reward of seeking the Father in the secret place. That there is an intimacy that our spirit comes alive. And we're going to talk a bit more on the why in a moment. But practicing fasting historically in the church, let's be honest, we don't do it. If I took a poll, a secret poll between you and God, I'm pretty sure we'd be up in the 90% of people that wouldn't do it. And typically that is the thing that we experience at the moment. But historically, fasting was huge in the Christian movement, absolutely huge. In fact, uh, one of the early works, the Didache, so if we have the New Testament here, there is also an additional writing called the Didache, which didn't quite make it to Scripture, but it was the 12 teachings of uh, a principle of following Jesus. And in those 12 teachings, there was one about fasting. And so the early Christians would fast every Wednesday because Jesus was betrayed, and every Friday because that's when he went to the cross. And so to be known as a Christian, you would fast twice a week. You'd be someone that would fast, so at night you'd have your evening meal, and from that moment you would fast all the way back around to sundown when your next meal is. That's the typical fast. You do that on Wednesday and you would do that on Friday. And throughout the history, the fathers and mothers deemed it the most essential and powerful thing for us to be transformed people. Even up to the 1700s, actually, uh, John Wesley uh, had this to say. He said this, I fear there are many thousands of Methodists, so-called, both in England and in Ireland who are following the same bad example have entire left off fasting, who are far from fasting twice a week. They do not even fast twice a month. Now, right, we were like, oh, okay, okay, John, okay, okay, okay. This is in the 1700s. There was a period in the 1800s to the 1900s, there was no book written on fasting. As the increase of the secular age, the enlightenment, that the brain is the way that we think our ways to Christ-likeness, we have lost our body. We have 
got our heart and our mind, but we rarely talk about our body because of the complications, because I think it's the vessel which sin comes through. I think actually it's probably a deeper truth than we even realize. Again, it is the most abused practice because during the medieval times, there were all sorts of cruel restrictions, body beatings. There was really unhealthy mindsets towards fasting. But also it's the most underused that we see. Because of the Reformation, the Catholics and the Protestants in the 1500s divided. And because they divided, we kind of split the spiritual practices. We get the sermons. As I like to say to the Catholics, we preach better. But they have spiritual practices which bring them into the presence of God. They are deeply spiritual people. And we have lost some of that stuff. And so we need to reform together both practices. You're more likely to hear about this practice of fasting from Muslims who do Ramadan, though Lent is exactly the same as a Ramadan concept. Or from a fitness guru, right? We've got the whole idea of getting your body into ketosis so that we lose weight. A lot of young people now, some of my friends, are just doing fasting. You'll, you'll fast uh, till the afternoon because that's when you'll be able to burn the most calories. And so we know about it, but we don't attribute it to fasting. So what is fasting? Let me talk about what fasting is not today. Abstaining from social media, TV, or shopping. Abstaining is not fasting. Fasting is not eating food, point blank. That's it. Look in the scripture. Whenever you see fasting, some translations say they did not eat food. So it is wholly related to not eating food. Now, abstaining is fantastic. We have habits which shift us away from God, right? Social media is awful. Like, it is great, it is wonderful, but it shifts us away from loving Jesus. It consumes our minds. It creates comparisons, body image issues. All those things fill our minds. And so abstaining from those things, taking time out, 100%. Your pastor says, yes, do it. Awesome. But also, it's not a restricted diet. There's some of it of a fad lately, and I didn't know this because I grew up with this, the Daniel fast, and we associate it with just eating no meats, no rich foods. That's Daniel chapter 1. It does not mention the word fasting in general chapter 1. He abstained from foods. And that's a great way to uh, lose weight and not get sucked into Babylon, Babylon culture. That's a great way to do that, but that is not fasting. He did fast for 21 days. He did cease to eat food so he could pray. Remember that spiritual battle between the prince of Persia and uh, Michael, the angel, they fought each other. That was fasting. He ceased eating food, but it is not the Daniel diet. It is a fast. Fasting definition, what is fasting? Fasting is not eating food in order to feed on the Holy Spirit. Fasting is not eating food in order to feed on the Holy Spirit. John Piper says this, whole body hunger for God. I love that definition. I'm not a Calvinist, but I love that definition. Whole body hungering for God. A whole body response to God. There's no exact fast length. Most people would do a 24-hour day. Uh, typically, the children of Israel would do the one day when they have Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. They would cause themselves to fast that day to recognize their sin and need of repentance. So there was rhythms that happened, but there were also responses. And so when the nation as a whole was, uh, you know, moving away from God again, they would fast to get their hearts and pray and seek God. So it's rhythms 
and responses in our lives. Sometimes you can do a couple of days, a day, a meal. Uh, 40 days is the long one, which I would... <laughs> I don't know if I'd ever do that, but there we go. Um, maybe one day. But it's interesting that both Moses, Elijah, and Jesus are the ones accounted for in the 40-day fast, which signify new movements in each of those. And so why do we fast, Johnny? Like, okay, great story, but why do we fast? And so let's go back to the passage that we're in today in Galatians chapter 5. And just to read this again. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite, interesting language, Paul, bite and devour, eating each other, watch out, for you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other and so that you do not do whatever you want. So why fast? Well, there's this conversation that's happening right now and Paul's all about this, this running theme of spirit versus flesh. Flesh not just being the physical body, though it is translated that way, disordered desires. So when you read flesh in the Bible, just think disordered desires. It's a mouthful. Disorders, disordered desires. Our desires for our fulfillment have been bent away from God. They've been bent away, and there's this inner voice that we trust over God, the enemy's voice as well. So we have this struggle inside of us, and I bet you know that you do what you don't want to do, and you don't do what you wish you would do. Anyone else in the room today? So we're all in that space. And because there is a war inside of you of a flesh that is disordered now, it is taken away from the way, the things of the world. In fact, Paul will then uh, build this out of what does the flesh mean in 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalry, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, orgies, things like these. In other words, like, like things like these. All this stuff, and we're like, check, check, check. Like you think about your week, how angry have you been today? How much division have you caused? How much envy have you had today? How much of some of just those things that we talk about in the room and those things that we don't talk about in the room occur in our hearts because there is a war of flesh in this. And this is only part of you. Can I just give you a confirmation and some hope today? That is only part of you. You are part flesh, but you are also part spirit. The part you of flesh is dying. He says this in 24, and those who belong to Christ Jesus crucify the flesh, the passions and desires. You cannot play around with your flesh. There's only one way to get rid of it, and it's to kill it. There's no other thing that you can do. You can't try and manipulate it with your mind. You can't try and think well enough. It will always overcome. It needs to die. There's a part of you, though, that is connected to the Spirit. There's a part of you that is connected to the Holy Spirit. You are both spirit and flesh. And this is the conversation which Paul is happening. Over and over again, he says, like, don't do the flesh. Walk in the Spirit. Be led by the Spirit in all that you do. 
because freedom. I love those opening words. For you were called, brothers and sisters, to freedom. Fourth of July. I'm wearing black because I'm upset. No, I'm not. I wore it and I was like, that's pretty appropriate. I'm mourning right now. I'm fasting right now. I'm upset about it all. Stinking people. Anyways, no, I love it. I'm part USA now, so I'm like, freedom, yay, boo, yay, boo. Conflicted. I'm flesh and spirit. For us, it's freedom, but the freedom is not the ability to do whatever you want, right? Freedom isn't the ability to do whatever you want. That's the narrative of the world that says, do you find your truth, follow your heart's desire over and over again. The freedom isn't the ability to do whatever I want because that is actually slavery, can I tell you today? Slavery just to do whatever what makes me feel good, happy, is actually enslaved because we are enslaved to the flesh. We are enslaved to the flesh. Freedom, this is the biblical understanding of freedom, freedom to want the right thing and do the right thing. Freedom is the ability to live in the Spirit and want what the Spirit wants. Say it again. Freedom is the ability to live in the Spirit and want what the Spirit wants. So when we deny our flesh and we seek God, we draw the Spirit up. So when we fast, we deny the physical and it impacts the spiritual. Remember the first one again, back to it. As we deny, as Jesus denied the flesh... He empowered the Spirit. If Adam and Eve had denied the flesh, they would have empowered the Spirit. We wouldn't be in this mess. But we are all people that live in this space. We need to deny the flesh to empower the Spirit. The more that we weaken the flesh, the Spirit strengthens. Isn't it interesting, in the seven deadly sins, gluttony is the first sin. Because they believe, this is what uh, theologians believe, that it's the domino effect. If you sort the gluttony out, all the other ones don't fall. But if you start to fall into gluttony of just consuming, 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 you actually fall more and more into sin. In fact, even psychologists pull this out. That those who overconsume actually are filled with lust. It's amazing the domino effect that happens. For those actually who are struggling with sexual sins, fast, fasting is an amazing way to overcome the fleshly desires that we have. A lot of times we try and heal, which is good. Even RTF is really good for that. But actually, killing your flesh is even better. Denying the flesh so that the spirit can raise. So what we're saying here today is, because Paul carries on with the fruits of the Spirit. So there's a contrast, because we want to become spaces of freedom, not just for our own self-worth, amen? Like, I don't just want to be a better person just because I want to feel better. I want to be a better person to bring freedom, renewal into Washington, amen? That's what we're about. We want to bring renewal. We want to cause the love of Jesus to explode out of us, to be vessels that love other people. Because of that... We bring freedom. He says, verse 22, but the fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. If we want to be people who are more loving, more patient, and I know you do in this room, there's an ache inside of you, I wish I could do better. I wish I was able to live a life more. You know, fasting for me was definitely no easy 
journey whatsoever. Uh, 20s and, and walking through, I just didn't want to do it. But then there was this shift in my heart as I continued to desire Jesus, where I just started to miss a meal. I'd miss just a simple meal. Most of the time, for many of you who work lunch times, sometimes I just skip lunch because I'm just so busy. And I'm actually just skipping a meal, and I noticed that about it. In fact, Sunday mornings, I never eat breakfast because I just felt like I wanted to consecrate myself. I wanted to set myself apart for worship, for what I was doing, so I just wouldn't eat. And I found just over and over that repetition of just that meal missing began to strengthen me. And so one day, I, I decided, you know what? At the beginning of the year, I'm going to do a five-day fast. I'm a performance kind of guy. Like, I'm just like, let's just go and see what happens. So one day, it worked. Second day, really hungry. <laughs> Second day, I was suddenly like bored, and, and, and Rachel's also doing a diet thing, so she was talking about food all the time as well. I was like, can you just stop talking about food? Day three was a breaking point for me. Suddenly, I felt this like, I actually don't need to eat food anymore. There's this weirdest feeling that you just didn't, like, food just didn't matter anymore. It's like, I could just not eat food again. And I just, I feel like I ate, ate yesterday. But on day three, anxieties began to drop. I did not even know what on me. There were things on me that I didn't know were just dropping off me. And number one was just anxieties. I was really hungry. <laughs> that was my focus. I was like, I'm really hungry. Nothing else in this world matters. And suddenly there was a shift in my heart towards desiring more of God. And that moment was really impactful because that began to shift insecurities inside of me, fears inside of me. It began to do a tangible work of freedom inside of me to be who God called me to be, to be someone that could love. Now, do I have it to go? Absolutely not. Speak to my wife. Like, definitely still working on these things. If she could stand up and give a testimony, she'd be like, well, you know, it's slow progress. You know, step by step kind of thing. Yeah, it's a little improvement here and there. Because disciplines are long obedience in the same direction. It's long. It takes time. But we're used to the Amazon next day culture, you know, microwave culture. Give me my growth now. And God's just not interested in that. Because the goal of spiritual fasting is not just the alleviation of my flesh, but it's the drawing of the intimacy of the Father. He longs to be in relationship with you. He longs, and that connection that he wants to do. The ultimate aim of fasting is to grow in union with the Spirit, to walk in the Spirit. Romans 12, 1 says this, it's by the mercies of God we present our body as a living sacrifice. His mercies. Are you thankful for his mercies today? Are you thankful for his grace today? And so because of that amazing gift, that, that alleviation of sin, that you who've had sin in your past, you are forgiven, has moved as far as from the east as from the west, you are now free. And because of freedom, we submit ourselves to the way of Jesus. And one of those ways is to bring our body into alignment. Remember, the physical impacts the spiritual. So I don't know where you are in the idea of fasting. Maybe you're going to walk out of this place today and say, nice message, won't bother doing it. That's fine. The invitation is always there for you to do it. My heart today is that maybe this will stir something inside of you. Maybe you've never heard this teaching before. This is biblical, 100%. Back this up by other theologians as well. I'm not the only one saying this. Maybe this is brand new to you and this is illuminating. Maybe I need to do something. Maybe you just start by delaying your meal for an hour. 
Maybe you know when you typically eat, you just push it back. Maybe you have breakfast slightly later. Maybe for you, you maybe can miss a meal. Maybe there's something, I could probably miss a meal. But not just for the abs or the body, right? Because that's great. In fact, the clarity of mind, the health benefits the world is showing is huge. Fasting is massive for your health benefits. Eliminates cancer cells. Like, it does a whole detox like no other. It's amazing. But we don't just do it for dietary purposes. We do it because we want to be people who look different. I'm tired of Christians, and myself included, where my life doesn't measure up with what I know. That I say I'm a Christian, but my life does not look different from anyone else's. And so we want to be people that when they look at our lives, they say, why are you so filled with hope? Why are you so filled with faith? Why are you just so disciplined all the time? Like, what's your deal? You're always doing things for this church and this Jesus. Like, why is your life so consumed by this? It's because you found hope. It's because you found love. And maybe today the real issue is, like Jesus' invitation, right? The first red letters in the Gospel of John is, what do you want? Jesus' first words in the Gospel of John is, what do you want? The question I put to you today is, what do you want? Do you want to just keep on meandering through your spiritual life? Because you can. No harm. You can do that. Your Gospel message will be frustrating. You'll be conflicted in your sides. You can choose to reject this, or you can choose to say, you know what, I'm going to lean in today. I I want to be a follower of Jesus. I want to fall more in love with him. Are you tired of just knowing about him? Do you want to experience the living, breathing God? Is that what you want? Because if you want that, there's a practice. And it takes practice, like Kobe A thousand shots making every single day. Like, you are going to fail at fasting. You're going to try, and that temptation will overcome you, but you get back up again. You try again. Maybe even with health benefits in the room that you just physically can't. My mom's diabetic, so it's really challenging for her to even miss a meal. But for her, it's like there is abstaining. Abstaining is not wrong. But I would ask again, what is the posture you could do? Maybe just denying yourself. Maybe the Daniel diet, you know, can work. We can deny ourselves of something. Maybe there's a pushing back of an hour. Maybe there's something that we can do that says, I'm going to say no to the flesh, and I'm going to pick up the spirit more in my life. Let's pray.